Hello, thank you for joining us for the Scottish Centre for Global History podcast discussion with Allegra Aida on her master's research in 19th century Nigeria. Allegra, thank you for participating in our podcast. Could you introduce yourself for our audience? Um, yes, so my name is Allegra Aida. Um, I'm currently a first year PhD student in history at Yale University in the US. And my previous degrees are a BA in history, an MA in history, and an MPhil in African studies, which was a more interdisciplinary degree. Um, my, geographically, my research focuses on the Niger Delta region of Nigeria, um, and I'm really looking forward to the discussion today. Great, thanks for joining us again. Um, so can you tell us about your research? Yes, so, um, since 2017, I've been looking, uh, I've been studying the Wari Kingdom, which is um, a kingdom located in present day Niger Delta region of Nigeria. The kingdom was founded in 1480 and consists of a dynasty of um, Olus, which is the Shekiri word for king. And the most recent Olu was crowned 21st of August, 2021. So it's a dynasty to rival sort of royal families in Europe. Great, so what were the kind of main arguments and interventions in your research? Yes, yeah, so um, as I said, I studied the Wari Kingdom and my most recent project to do with the Wari Kingdom was this, my master's dissertation, which was called Material Culture and History of Chief Nana Alumu. And Chief Nana was a 19th century Shekiri chief who was active um, in the latter part of the 19th century um, in the Niger Delta region. He was a merchant that did trade with the British and um, peoples of the interior. And he worked, he traded palm oil. And this was sort of the period where um, British imperialism um, began and the British aimed to sort of control the region. So Nana was, Chief Nana was a, um, Anti, he was an anti-imperialist that sort of resisted British rule. And this culminated in 1894 with the Ebrahimi expedition, which was a punitive expedition carried out by British troops that aimed to um, depose Chief Nana and install someone more favorable to the British. Um, so, my, so for my masters, what I did is I wrote a biography of Chief Nana and the methodology I used was I looked at sort of Nana's material, um, material objects related to Nana. So following this 1894 uh, expedition, he was, um, his objects were, his possessions were seized as sort of war trophies and transported back to the UK. So many, so many of his objects are in British museums um, in the 21st century. So my research used these objects to sort of retell the history of um, Chief Nana's life, because um, objects, um, the way um, one studies material culture is that objects have meaning and can give you life histories. So that was the methodology I used to sort of reclaim this history. Great, it sounds like a really interesting method. Um, so what kind of like, historiography existed uh, on this person during this period or of similar uh, chiefs? Yeah, so um, Chief Nana is actually a, um, uh, chief Nana, who is a Shekui chief, is actually and is part of the Wari Kingdom. The Wari Kingdom is actually a very understudied um, area in Nigerian historiography because the Shekui are one of the 
many minority groups in Nigeria. So Nigeria has over 250 different ethnic groups. And the historiography tends to focus on the main ethnic groups, which are the Yoruba, the Igbo, and the House of Fulani. And the Wari Kingdom is actually located near to the much more widely known Benin Kingdom. And you may, um, the listeners may have heard of the Benin Kingdom because of Benin bronzes, which have been in the news a lot um, over the last few years. Um, so Chief Nana, there was one biography written about him in the 1970s, but he sort of sort of gets mentioned as this sort of early nationalist hero in the historiography, but there hasn't really been much research focused on him specifically. In terms of that uh, kind of nationalist hero uh, historiography, does uh, your work engage with kind of like local perceptions of uh, like chieftains within the Wari Kingdom? Um, yes, yeah, so um, Chief Nana is actually well, he's well known within um, the sort of Shekiri community, but sort of not, he could be more widely known in sort of Nigerian history more generally, like he sort of gets mentioned a lot in different books. So from that side of it, Chief Nana, my work is sort of aims to sort of bring minority ethnic voices um, back into sort of more general Nigerian historiography. But then the other side of my work is sort of engaging with these debates on sort of cultural restitution and violent colonial histories that have seen sort of African heritage taken from Africa and put on display in European museums. So that's the other historiography I engage with. Okay. Um, so that brings me to the question on your kind of theoretical approach to history, which is you intend to break the Eurocentrism uh, within this study and I'm assuming in your future studies. Uh, so how do you achieve this uh, breakdown of Eurocentrism and what are the main challenges for this practice? Yeah, so the problem with um, Eurocentrism is, is a sort of problem that African history has more broadly in that a lot of the histories, um, a lot of the history of Africa has been written um, by Europeans, where there were sort of European explorers in the 18th and 19th century, or whether it was sort of European historians writing African history. You sort of had, um, uh, you had this problem where um, them writing the history doesn't um, sort of erases this, these African voices um, in, in the historiography. And the way to, um, Another reason is that is because a lot of, with colonialism, a lot of documents, a lot of um, 20th century African history is colonial record. So it sort of privileges the sort of um, imperial colonial um, experience in the writings. And then when, what you have is when you have people trying to write African history of these time, of these time period, sorry, of this time period, you end up having, um, you end up getting only sort of one voice and one perspective coming out, which sort of sees Africa as um, inferior. Um, so the way my work and sort of many historians of Africa's work aims to address that is um, to find other ways that go beyond this sort of written colonial record, written colonial archives. So um, oral history is something that since Jan van Sina's oral tradition um, work on oral tradition, um, that has been an important source of, re of reclaiming African history because oral traditions, which are passed, uh, which is sort of written, sorry, which is sort of historical record that is passed down from generation to generation orally, 
these these stories and um traditions can be sort of used to tell a different give a different perspective on the sort of deep past um, of African history so oral history is the main one another side is archaeology and sort of looking at material objects because um this is another sort of huge um this is another way that um these histories have um have survived when sort of written record hasn't like objects have their own stories as well you were mentioned before about your use of oral history in your previous uh in your ma project uh, but i was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on the the benefits and the challenges of using oral history yes so um before um so as i said i i did two masters so in my first master's dissertation um i did a sort of gender i looked at sort of authority um in the warrior kingdom from pre-colonial to present and i used the lens of gender to do that and the reason i did that is because i want what i noticed in studying the warrior kingdom was that um, men tended to be privileged in the historical record. You sort of had these histories of chiefs, you had these histories of kings, you had these histories of um, male European explorers exploring the coast. And I wondered what sort of happened to the women because women were a significant part of the population and they had their own stories to tell. So what I aimed to do in that particular project was to sort of reclaim these women's voices. And I did that by... Um, by in, in my work, um, interviewing Nigerian women as part of my project. And for that particular project, I was looking at, um, I was interested in the period 1950s to 1960s sort of period leading up to independence. So it's sort of the end of the colonial period and the women who were sort of alive now to talk about this are in their seventies and eighties. So that was a very sort of unique project in terms of um, interviewing elderly, interviewing elderly women has its own challenges. Firstly, um, there's a sort of problem that all, all sort of historians who do oral history have to deal with, which is the problem of memory and um, the problem of like the idea of historical truth. So um, the way I sort of overcame that was sort of Anytime I had a woman talking about a particular time period, I tried to cross-reference it with dates of their travel or photographs or cross-referencing it with newspaper articles to try and make sure I could pinpoint exactly what time periods in these women's lives. Because these women were sort of in their 80s talking about their 20s and 30s. So that was sort of one part of it. And then the other part is just sort of when you do oral history interviews is that as an interviewer, you, as an interviewer, you become implicated in your work because you have to guide the interview and provide the questions. So I was sort of very careful to sort of speak as little as possible because I really wanted to sort of have my interviewees speak about their experiences. And it does make it a bit harder because in terms you get a lot more data and you have to sort of try and sift through it. But I thought it really added to my work because I didn't feel like I was constraining these women to talk about particular parts of their of their lives. That sounds like a, a diligent approach to oral history and that would hopefully have created some rich sources for other people to use in the future. Um, so you'd mentioned about the ongoing discussion about the Benin Broads. I was wondering how your 
research kind of intersects with these ongoing public debates? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so the sort of to to sort of briefly summarize what the debate is, it it is that um, we um, as as a society. Um, Sorry, sorry, to summarize what these debates are, um, it's sort of the debate around cultural restitution. So it's the fact that you have um, African cultural heritage, which had been seized in a very, in a sort of violent colonial manner, um, is present in European museums. And there is the question of ownership, like does, should they, should they be on display in, these spaces and don't don't they just belong back where they were created and also the fact that when things are stolen and not returned it sort of breaks it's sort of a stolen cultural identity it is stolen cultural identity as well so what my work aimed to do um was to sort of bring another sort of add another set of objects to the conversation because Whilst um, whilst it's wonderful that the Benin bronzes, um, the eight, this is the Benin bronzes are from the 1897 expedition, also by the British, in the same region. So my work looks at the 1894 expedition, which is sort of an almost a precursor to what would happen in Benin. So what happened in the Wari Kingdom is a precursor to what happened in the Benin Kingdom. So my work was sort of to add more objects to the conversation, to say that, oh, it's not just the case that the Benin bronzes were taken and this is these are the only objects we all need to think about because they're the most famous ones and they're in the US, they're in the UK, they're in Germany, they're in France. There's actually these other conversations, there are these other objects um, related to other ethnic groups that are maybe smaller, but still just, the objects are still just as important for them. So my work was to add to this conversation. Right. Um, so I'm just going to return back to your MPhil project here, um, which I was wondering what inspired you to choose this project and you know pursue it through to the end of your your MPhil. Yeah, so um, I knew that um, my MPhil. I decided to do an interdisciplinary MPhil after doing an MA in history because I felt that. Um, when you do African history, you need to, you need to be interdisciplinary because the source material that you're working with is just is very different from other regions. So when you do African history, for the most part, you, there's a lack of written source material, so you end up having to be more creative in how you do your work. So I came to my MPhil thinking I wanted to use anthropological methodologies. I wanted to sort of think about archaeology, and I wanted to think about objects. And I thought about the museum space because with COVID, museums were closed and that was museums were some of my, one of my favorite hobbies. I loved going to museums. And I thought, oh, I'd love to do a project that sort of engages with that. And then you sort of, maybe a year or so, um, in the lead up to my MPhil, um, I saw these conversations starting around cultural restitution. And I suddenly thought, how does that, how does that, how can that link to my work? So I sort of came across, um, I was looking, was wondering if there were Shekiri um, cultural heritage in the Europe. And it just, and I wasn't, and it was a bit harder to find because like I said, Benin bronzes are sort of very sort of well-known, but I thought, oh, let me see if there's anything around. And I realized that Chief Nana's objects were all located in the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. 
um, they had, that's where his objects ended up after they were sort of looted and sold off. Yet, despite the objects being there, only one of them was on display. The rest of them are sort of kept in storage. And it just got me thinking, how do we, how can, how do museums ethically have material from other cultures and how do they, what is the politics of display? So I started having these questions in mind. And the nice thing for me was I had already sort of looked Chief Chief Nana in my MA in my previous masters because um, I was doing gender history and I was looking at sort of representations of masculinity. And I sort of did some more, a bit of work on him in terms of him as a masculine figure and his like wealth and his trading um, empire. But I just thought this is, oh, this is great. It's another angle I can do to look at the same work. And I'm very familiar with historiography, having done a BA in history, looking at that and then having done the first masters. So I thought, let me stick with what I know because COVID meant I couldn't really travel anywhere. So I knew I wouldn't be able to access new archives and I knew I'd be able to look at the objects digitally online. Sadly, I never got to see them in person because the museum was closed for the duration of my masters, of my MPhil, but it was, it just felt like a natural progression in terms of sticking to the same um, subject matter, but looking at it in a new way. So on that topic of uh, switching focus, I'm going to go to the last question, which is on uh, what do you plan to work on for your PhD? Yes. So um, for my PhD, um, I'm still in the same geographic region, the Niger Delta region of um, Nigeria, and I have shifted my work more to think about the environment. And um, I've always sort of had an interest in the environment in terms of like, I'm sort of very aware of climate change and we sort of had COP26 recently. So I'm sort of very aware of all these conversations, but I realized that there, when we sort of think of the environment in the sort of African context, it's definitely tends to be in terms of development, conversations around development, international development and sort of climate change. And I wanted to sort of think more about the, deeper history, the more long durée history of the environment. So I'm sort of looking at the Niger Delta region, which has been in com- has had a lot of international attention in terms of oil and um, shell and these sort of relationships around oil, environmental degradation and oil politics. So I really wanted to sort of engage with that literature, but also to sort of just draw it out into like a sort of longer history. So for me, I'm not just sort of looking at oil politics in the 1970s, 80s and 2000s. I'm sort of looking at this. I'm going to go all the way back and look at the deeper history of palm oil with Chief Nana. And then you're going even sort of further back and seeing what can be gleaned from the archaeological record. So um, I've just started at Yale um, and um, I'm also an environmental humanities fellow. So I sort of do a bit of interdisciplinary work. So I'm hoping to sort of engage with sort of fiction and geography and GIS. And I'm hoping to sort of really expand my methodologies again um, in, in my work in the next few years. It sounds like an excellent opportunity. Um, I hope it goes really well for you. And I'm going to conclude there. So again, thank you very much for joining us, Allegro. I hope it's been an opportunity to reflect on your research and share it with the public audience. And for our listeners, I hope it has been an opportunity to learn more about graduate research on African history and the experience of conducting research. Thank you. Thank you so much.